Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions. Connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now, the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. One of the most amazing things that you'll find out in the book of John is the different conversations he had with different individuals. And uh, some of them were very close to him, and some of them were nearly complete strangers. But he was consistent. And I, I'm afraid sometimes we are a little bit afraid of strangers. And uh, But Jesus, I know he was God, but I'm just going to use these words, pushed through that which was a little bit uneasy, and he pushed through it and had that conversation. Nathan, do you think we need to push through some of our reservations and talking with some certain people? Yeah, for sure. And the story in John chapter 4 of Jesus and his encounter, his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well made his disciples very uncomfortable. <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus, I don't think they would have, first of all, even gone through Samaria. You know, John 4, verse uh, 4 says he had to travel through Samaria. We don't know what that totally means, but he was driven to do that. And we know that this village, this woman and, and the village there, at the least, was a part of God's, God's plan and purpose. And I think the disciples left to their own would have missed that. You know? Well, they had gone to the town, and I think they got a town and said, we got out of there without everybody knowing we were, yeah, we, yeah. We were from Judea. We, we, we got out of there. We succeeded. And then they get back, and Jesus has let the cat out of the bag, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you think about that story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and there's a lot of, and we've done this before on this program where we've looked at it and, and noticed how to build bridges with people. And so we're not going to do that specifically today, but today we do want to talk about building bridges, gospel bridges, with a certain type of people, a certain group of people that many in this day and age, in this area here in the U.S. and this time, many are kind of uncomfortable with, uh, maybe even would say be afraid of. Uh, maybe there's misunderstanding, whatever you want to say. But we're talking about today uh, Muslim people and specifically how to love Muslims, loving Muslims. And you, you shared this at a college campus, and they had told you you'd have just a few students. And when they found out the topic, what happened, Nathan? Yeah, they, they had a lot of uh, a large turnout. One of the largest um, turnouts they'd had on yeah. that campus, yeah. It was a Christian college. It was for a uh, missions and apologetics group that meets kind of regularly to hear guest speakers. And, and I was invited to come and share. And uh, this was the topic that I felt led to share about. And several of the students would come to me either before or after and thanking me for sharing about how to, how to practical on a practical level, how to show God's love to Muslim people instead of maybe being afraid of Muslims or even hating Muslims. They said, we get enough of that all around us, in, you know, whether it's the media or, or wherever. But they were eager 
to hear about loving Muslims? Well, our audience, I hope you're eager. You may be surprised where they are in your life and where you find, and we may even have some who are who are listening. I mean, they listen to the radio, and you may have come up on this and listen to this perspective of how the Bible talks about loving people, including Muslims. Yeah. Nathan, take us on this journey. Well, you know, when we talk about Muslim people, and just like we would talk about any large group of religious that have a particular religious background, we first need to kind of understand that you can't group everybody all in one one grouping. That's bad um, to do, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, everybody's an individual. That goes for Muslim people that there's multitude of variation of beliefs when it comes to uh, Islam and groups of you know that that follow Islam and and Muslim people that you know you talk to ten different Muslims you'll get some of the responses will be similar but then you'll get ten different perspectives of that so that's a good place to kind of understand as we start but I want to kind of think about like the early church the church in Antioch right you read about that in Acts eleven Acts thirteen it's a great church yeah and so. Historically, the city of Antioch at, at that time was a walled city. It had walls around it, of course, like that's pretty common. But then there were other walls within the city that separated parts of quadrants and segments of the city from the other. And for whatever reason, people had been grouped according to their backgrounds to live in certain areas of the city. So you had like a Roman quadrant. You had maybe a Greek quadrant. You had a Jewish area. And so what was interesting is that perhaps the Christians in Antioch, we know, came from all of those backgrounds. They weren't just Jewish people. You can look at the names of their leaders, what we would call the first deacons, or at least the prototype of deacons, and you could see they're from different nationalities and Different ethnic groups. Right. And and so Christians, they became known as Christians first in Antioch. And it was possibly two reasons they were called Christians. One, it was a derogatory term that was used against them by other people that were not followers of Jesus. You know, the word Christian means like Christ. And so what made them like Christ? Well, the other reason maybe they were called Christian was because it was a political term used to identify people, like if you want to take a census and see who belongs in where, what area of the city. Well, the Christians didn't belong to one particular area of the city. They were jumping the walls, and they would go to meet with <laughs> so each other. So they were wall jumpers before there was pew jumpers. Yeah, that, exactly. Okay, yeah, so, amen. <laughs> but what caused them to do that? And I believe it was it was God's love. Amen. You know, they, they loved one another, and they, they loved who God loved, and they wanted to spread that message of the gospel to all peoples. So Antioch, the church in Antioch, would— you could characterize it. One of the ways you could characterize it was by Christ's love. And think about this. This is a quote from, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Lausanne Conference, but Lausanne Conference back in 1974 helped start, started by Billy Graham. Here's a quote about loving Muslims from 1974. It says, we Christians have loved so little and have put forth such little effort to regard Muslims as people like ourselves. 
They, too, deserve the love and respect God would have His people accord all men. Although we know their inmost needs, like ours, can only be satisfied by Christ, we somehow draw back from sharing Him with them. And so today I just want to encourage everyone and challenge you not to draw back from anyone, even Muslim people, but to go forward in love to share the gospel of Jesus with them. So I want to ask three or four questions to help us to kind of measure our love for Muslim people. And depending how we answer this, it will decide if we kind of earn the right to share the gospel. You know, you have to, in some people's lives, you have to kind of earn the right to be heard. And so we want to, we want to do that, creating a, a framework or a context, a loving context, where the gospel can be heard, shared, heard, and uh, responded to, uh, specifically with Muslim people. So the first question, will you love Muslims enough to simply say hello? How many times have you walked past a Muslim? Usually they're more identified, the, the women are more identifiable if they're wearing uh, head coverings or their dress or maybe the language that you hear someone speak. But how many times have we w- simply walked past without, you know, without greeting, with maybe even ignoring, possibly even like walking away from? Nearly a lot shunning. Yeah. So... Here's a simple practice that we can put into effect in our lives, just simply greeting them with a common term in their language, okay, Arabic, and all Muslims will respond, whether they speak Arabic or not, will respond to this phrase. It means, peace be upon you. And in, in Arabic, you say, assalamu alaikum, okay? And you can say, assalamu alaikum, and more than likely, they will turn and, and say, Walaikum salam, which means, and peace be upon you as well. So that's a simple phrase. And, and you know what? We actually get that in the Bible. If you read in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, when you go to the places I send you, and you go to the door, and you greet them with, peace be upon this house. And so it's the same, same phrase. And so what you really want to do by greeting them is to open up yourself in order to get to know them and their family. And you want to know them first simply as a neighbor. To know a Muslim as a neighbor, you know, I, I talked to a, uh, a, a sheikh one time, and he told me, he said, you know, according to our teaching, a neighbor is anyone within 40 doors or 40 houses of where you live. Okay, on every side. So imagine if that's your neighbors or your neighborhood. Hundred and sixty. Yeah, that's a lot. And you know, left, yeah. right, front, and wow. back. And so, Islam teaches that every neighbor should be given these five basic rights. Okay. Number one, they should return their greetings and accept their invitations. So if you see a if you see a Muslim and you say, "Assalamu alaikum." They are supposed to return your greeting to you. And guess what? If you invite them to your house, they come. They, they pretty much have to come. Okay. Number two, they refrain from doing any harm to you. So that's good to know. And in my experience, Muslims make some of the very best neighbors I've ever had. So it's good to have a Muslim neighbor. They're, they're, going, they're not going to do you any harm. 
Uh, number three, they are supposed to bear with patience any harm you do to them. So if you, you know, your leaves fall on their, their grass, you know, hopefully they're not going to be too upset about that. Okay. They're supposed to serve you and meet your needs, and they're supposed to guard your honor. Okay, those five things that a Muslim is, is to give any, any neighbor uh, just but for the fact of being your neighbor. But we want to know Muslims as, as our neighbor, and according to Jesus, who is our neighbor? Well, yeah. anyone yeah, in need. Yeah. yeah, anyone in need, anyone we Come, have any kind of yeah. interaction with, right? We can love Muslims as our neighbor. We can love them as, as a friend and not a project. So a good question to ask here is, will you be their friend even if they don't follow Jesus? Uh, we want them to follow Jesus, but is that a requirement for us to show them God's love and, and, and show general friendliness and neighborliness to them? I have a friend who uh, a few years ago, he was new in the U.S., and he came as a refugee from Iraq. And I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question? Do you have any American friends? And he thought for a second. He said, he was ashamed to answer, but he said, no, I do not. And I was, I was proud and able to tell him, well, you have one now, you know? <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, we're still friends to this day. He has not yet followed Jesus. And it's, my, it's one of my deepest prayers is for he and his family to follow Jesus. Yet is a very important word. I heard Chuck Swindoll preach a whole sermon on one of the best words in all the English languages yet, Mm. that they're not saved yet. That's right. That that yet gives hope, doesn't it, It does. It really does. And continuing that relationship and that friendship is, is key to that in a lot of ways. So, but we also want to, to know Muslims, their deep fears needs and desires, just like everybody else, they have those. And to earn the right to even hear what those are. I have another friend, and uh, his deepest beliefs, I guess, about Christianity, these are the two biggest barriers for him, intellectually, I would say, to follow Jesus. He believes, this is him, he believes that the Bible is been, has been corrupted, and he believes that Jesus is human but not divine. And he doesn't see in any way how a human could be God, how Jesus could be God. And, but you know what? I had to, for him to just come out and tell me that, I had to, you know, build a relationship there. And so when I talk to him now, I know those are the things that I really want to focus in on and talk to him about. So, yeah, we want to love Muslims enough to just start that whole process by saying, hello, assalamu alaikum. The next question we want to ask about uh, our love toward Muslim people is will you love Muslims enough to provide them hospitality? Okay. Now, hospitality is one of these things that some of us are pretty good at, but a lot of us are, are, are struggling with. Um, but what we need to do is look at Jesus' ministry and his life, how much of it centered around food, a meal, or took place inside homes of people's homes. You know, Jesus didn't have a home of his own. But he was in a lot of different people's homes. He sure was. Um, sometimes it got him into trouble, right? Yeah. But the, the centrality of being in a home, either yours or someone else's, and sharing a meal together is, is very important, giving and receiving hospitality. 
that needs to be a regular practice of, of Christians, no matter who we're trying to reach, be it Muslims or anybody else. But it's particularly important for Muslim people to be shown hospitality. What we're really doing when we're providing hospitality, we're providing community, a picture of community. Community, providing community for Muslim people is absolutely essential if we want to see them follow Jesus. So that means we need to be practicing community ourselves, fellowship with our brothers and sisters, but also allowing them to be a part of that in some capacities. And like I said, it's better at home uh, necessarily than, than in a church building. That may be why house churches may be, in some cases, a lot more effective than a, than a collective yeah. in, in, a, in a church For building. For sure, or a small group. or yeah. You can do both. You can, uh, right. a church that's really on the outreach, they do have the community come together in a local place called mm-hmm. a building, a church. But then they have home groups where that church is extended, and it's yeah. kind of like having satellites in a way. Yeah. So if, uh, if you're a little bit unsure about, you know, cooking and preparing a meal for a Muslim person or a family, you can at least start with coffee. Right, uh, you can tea or coffee. Been there. I, I was with you, and we went to a, a friend's house, and I've never been treated with greater respect and honor than being in their home. And uh, I didn't drink coffee, but they did have some tea, mm-hmm. and uh, I I relished the tea. Yeah. And but while I was there, they had to re- prepare a cake and brought me cake to eat. It was just. They were honored that I was in their house, and I was honored yeah. to be there. So it's not always about giving hospitality. It's about receiving hospitality. Yes, it is. And yeah. I think about a friend, Ahmed. He's, uh, he's from Algeria. He's a Muslim man. And I stand behind this 100%. I truly believe he makes the world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> I tr- I, I really, if you're looking for it, that's where you have to go. Now we're talking to a guy that did not drink coffee until he went on mission yes, that's for right. God. That's right. And uh, he became a coffee drinker. Uh, well, I still have to doctor it up, but Ahmed's coffee, I don't have to do anything. It's, <laughs> it's perfect just like it is. It's unbelievably good. Ahmed, one time, and this was after sharing, you know, several cups of coffee with him over, you know, a period of, of time. Ahmed had a dream of Jesus one time. Now, he's not yet come to follow Jesus yet, but he had a dream about Jesus. And I won't get into the dream because it's very, you know, long and detailed. But do Muslims, you know, have dreams of Jesus? Yes, they do. And if you have that community and relationship built with them, they're going to share it with you. And guess what? We were able to quote-unquote, interpret his dream for him <laughs> and share the gospel with him. Amen. I'm thinking of another young man. His name is Muhammad. He is a follower of Jesus today. But he was uh, formerly, you know, against his will, made to be a child soldier. He was uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, but as a, he came to Atlanta as a refugee, and he got to basically become a part of a, a Christian family there in Atlanta area. And they basically included him in everything and let him, you know, almost almost live there. And Muhammad was always with this family. And sure enough, he came to follow Jesus through the influence of, of their love and their opening up their family as a community for him. Amen. Relationship. So it's, we don't have enough time, but this cannot be overstated how important hospitality 
and becoming a community or opening your community up for Muslim people to be a part of is so important for them to hear the gospel and, and respond to it. All right, next question. Will you love Muslims enough to give them honor? Okay, honor is a key concept and something we need to understand. There are three global, there are three worldviews, lenses. These are, I'm talking really big picture here. Uh, large worldview lenses that people see the world through. Okay, and this is really g- generic and. But it um, is very instructive. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I, this is, so it generally, my world yeah, up to it. Generally, in the West, we see things through a guilt and innocence worldview and perspective. Okay, that's how we see each other. That's how we read the Bible. That's how we. That's how our theology is developed. But in the South, generally the global South, you have a power fear perspective. Okay, where evil spirits and, 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 and God, or in a lot of people's minds, gods are at war and, and you have to appease the, the, certain, the right ones and, and, and that sort of thing. So power and fear. And then there's a, a third perspective that's mostly you could find in the east, eastern hemisphere, of honor and shame. And that's where most Muslim people are, are come from and that's their perspective and and their worldview and their background, the honor and shame perspective. Honor, shame is the operating system for, for most Muslims. Now, we've talked about honor and shame in all these worldviews here on this program, so maybe there's a chance you can go back and catch a podcast to you know, further learn about this. But here's the thing. Muslim people will live and will die for honor. Okay, To experience honor, to be seen as honorable, if there's shame felt or seen or placed upon them, it's, that's the worst thing imaginable, okay? It's worse than death. And so, yeah, a lot of the Muslim families that I've been privileged to be around and they have younger children, you know the most common word for young children in a, growing up in a Muslim home that they hear? It's in Arabic, it's aib. It means shame. Mm. They hear shame over and over instead of, I don't know what, I haven't thought about what we say to, you know, in America to our children growing up. No, maybe a lot. I say it a lot to my kids anyway. No. (laughs) Somehow they ignore that. They don't understand what no means. I don't know how that works. But, But in a Muslim home, shame is the most common word heard among children. Now, in Muslim community, Muslim life, the importance of honor expresses itself in the cultural virtues of, let me give you four cultural virtues that's really important to this concept of honor. Number one, hospitality. There that is again. We've gone over that quite a bit. Number two, generosity. Okay, that fits in with hospitality yeah. a lot. Uh, number three, again, fitting in community. Okay. And the fourth one is relational loyalty. Mm. Okay. So once you have a friend that's a Muslim, you've got a friend. You've got a strong friend. Now, those four things, hospitality, generosity, community, relational loyalty, are any of those not part of Jesus' kingdom ethic? Would there be one of those that might not fit? Every one of them do. They do, except for at times and places, 
Jesus did talk about relational loyalty. What comes first? Our family? God. Or does following Jesus come first? And Jesus would even say, you have to leave your father and mother, possibly even hate them, to follow me, to follow Jesus. And so when a Muslim comes to follow Jesus, they are breaking this relational loyalty with their family. And their family, is that, that relational loyalty is broken, and they're seen as being shameful. Mm-hmm. And they've cast shame upon their family and upon their community. Now do you see why it's so important to have established already a Christian community for them to be a part of. So they, they have somewhere to go. Yeah. Because exactly. everybody wants to belong. That's right. They want to belong. So the fourth question, and we'll end with this, just a couple minutes. Will you love Muslims enough to include them in your household, in your, in your uh, community, in, as a part of your spiritual family, the family of God? And so relationships, this is key. Relationships are how Muslims hear the gospel. That's how they hear the gospel. Now, of course, we want to share the gospel verbally with them, and we want to demonstrate it to them in front of them and be a witness as we live. But that includes building those strong relationships and experiencing community. So we have to earn the right to share the gospel. We do that by them becoming a part of our community, us becoming a part of their lives as friends, neighbors, and, uh, yeah, really almost as family members, closest family. And so, of course, this presupposes that as Christians, we are living in community ourselves. The greatest apologetic to the Muslim world is our love for one another as the church. You know, when you hear that, Nathan, the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. After you've presented this today, it really speaks, shouts out. The Muslim world takes note of that. Yes. And so if you're going, if you have a neighbor and uh, sometimes you don't know because uh, they get into the West and sometimes they begin to adopt Western culture and it's not as obvious. Right. But if you're like the Lord convicts us of being a better witness in our neighborhoods, you may come across uh, a Muslim living down the street from you. And so hearing this, and this would be on the podcast. So if you didn't get all of this, this was a whole lot. Yeah, a lot of content. Yes, Nathan has presented this, and he's used it so well. And and it was hard. I was here with notes and had a hard time making it. But it's presented on the podcast, so you can go to AFR.net, and uh, you can go to the podcast and you can look at Exploring Missions, and you'll find this. And so you can review it. And I think God's going to bring some uh, Muslims into contact with some of the people who are listening now. And at least they're going to be, okay, what am I going to do? In place of ignoring and going their way, they've been challenged. I say they, we've been challenged to do something with what we've heard. Nathan, I want to thank you for sharing this. Thank you for the time that you have experienced this and practiced this. And uh, I was privileged to be there to watch and observe. And this is not just something on paper. This is something in a person's heart. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. And we pray that you would be on mission down the street and around the world, maybe 40 houses away from your home. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 